I'm Ginger. And I'm Dutch. folks welcome back to another episode of ginger and dutch here on the ginger and dutch podcast well, it's been a couple weeks uh, we've been away on vacation we're uh, excited to be back uh, i don't got my right hand man in dutch here he's on in a little bit of an extended vacation so uh i got friend of the show most of you may know the old boy is back in the house it's been a few weeks since he's uh he's joined us but uh old boy you on the uh, you on the line here for us I am, buddy. How are you today, man? We're good to hear from you, pal. Good to hear from you, my man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on tonight and and filling in for uh, for Dutch. I'm sure he appreciates it, and uh, he'll be back in the saddle soon here. But uh, nice to have a a fellow cohort who uh, loves sports just as much as us and it has that passion. And uh, welcome on. So uh, let's get to it. We're uh, we're knee deep in sports. We're right in the middle of it. And uh, where do you want to where do you want to fire off? You want to start with the NHL? Yeah, let's let's give it a shot, man. You know, I personally I've been loving the hockey so far. You know, good energy. I think they've done a pretty good job of replicating that uh, that playoff atmosphere, atmosphere the best way they can. There, um, you know, geez, man, fifth straight week, no positive COVID test. So the bubble's clearly working. Um, I'm excited, man. And I know we're a little bit, you know, obviously the second round here is kind of you know officially underway here. But uh, let's do it, man. Let's go. Let's go series by series here. I know we're going to have a little bit of a of a head start here with some of them already you know, a game or two into it, but uh, let's hear your thoughts, man. Where do you want to start? Yeah. And, and for all of our listeners out there, uh, follow us and on ginger and Dutch one Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. They know, uh, they know our picks and an old boy had his picks in there. So I know we're going to agree on some and disagree on other, but others, but uh, let's get into it with, with Vegas and, uh, and Vancouver. Interesting series. Um, Vegas is up one, nothing. Vegas looks good. Don't they look really, really good? Uh, they're skating strong. Um, obviously, they had this whole thing with Mark Andre Fleury. I don't know if that's going to uh, rear its ugly head eventually, but I, I just don't know if if Vancouver can hold up with them. No, I, listen, I agree with you, man. You know, I think for Vancouver, I, they have a really good, solid young core. I think even for them to have made it as far as they have so far, I think if the season was to end after this round. I think they would go back and say it's been a pretty damn good success, right? So I think when you look at both these teams, you know, they both are kind of built in a pretty similar fashion. They're like two really, you know, strong, high-powered top six on both sides. Um, they both, ironically enough, also have two Swedish, you know, UFA goalies in net on both sides, which is kind of ironic as well, too. I think the one thing that where they really start to see a big difference in the quality of play between both teams is just the quality on the back end. So, you know, I don't think Vegas has anyone as dynamic as Quinn Hughes. That kid is arguably in the league of his own there. But that top four of Nate Schmidt, Braden McNabb, Martinez, Shea Theodore, you know, they have little traces there of that old, you know, L.A. Kings run, that team that went on those runs there a couple years back and won a couple cups. They got a bunch of guys back there know what they're doing. It's sandpaper, hard, you know, that hard on you, beat me up uh, kind of defense there where, you know, it's not pretty, but they don't make any mistakes. And, uh you know, it's just, it's a really hard team to play against heavy puck possession. I think, you know, Vancouver's going to have a really hard time, you know, getting ahead of this series for sure. Yeah. And, and, and you think you nailed it with the back end and then on the front end, they got, you know, Ryan Reeves and Alec Tuck who are not easy to play against, who are going to are rough and rugged and are going to pound you into the boards all night long. 
and then you, you fire out with Pacioretty and Stone. Like they're just they're deep the whole way through, and unless the big guns from Vancouver show up again, like they did in the last round, I just I just can't see them hanging with Vegas for for a seven game series. Yeah, no, me neither, man. I think for this one here, if I'm looking at it right now, again, we have you know. We have the luxury of knowing that, you know, they, they lost that first game. It was, I think it was 5 nothing. They beat them there. So, if this thing gets past 5, I'd be kind of shocked. I just don't think that Vegas is going to let them hang around. Now, you never know, right? Like, those those kids, like, you know, like Besser and Pedersen and, and Horvat, if they get hot and they get start clicking on the power play a little bit there, they may pull a game out or two out. And if Markstrom gets hot, you never know. But I just, I don't see it, man. That, that Vegas team is just too deep. And they're just going to beat you up. And I hate to say it, man. I think the kids are happy as far as they made it here. I think it's going to be a good learning experience for them. And, uh, you know, the future's bright for the Canucks, but I think this is where it ends right here. So, yeah. And, and let's, let's continue on that old, old boy, that, that point that you just brought up where that, that this is a, uh, a bright future for the Canucks, because I know me and you have talked off air about this and, and I wanted to bring it up for our listeners because um, it is a bright future for Vancouver. And I think the future is brighter in Vancouver than it is in Toronto right now. Uh, you know, we, we had the trade today with uh, Kapanen going for the, the pick to uh, to Pittsburgh. But when you start to break it down player for player, what do you think on, you know, who's got the better team or the better setup moving forward here, uh, 2020 and beyond, in terms of Calgary, uh, or sorry, not Calgary, uh, Vancouver and Toronto? Well, listen, man, you know, it's funny. You, you look at, so let's look at, you know, the top four kind of core pieces on both sides. So on Vancouver, you'd have Quinn Hughes, you know, Elias Pedersen, yeah. Brock Besser, and Bo Horvat. Yeah. And then on the Leafs side, I guess you could say it would be Riley, Marner, Nylander, and Matthews. At the end of the day, I think Matthews is obviously the best player of that mix. But I think what's really going to help sway this one way or the other here, which is going to make it a really interesting debate, continue. The kid was arguably already a point-of-game guy, running the power play, you know, great outlet passes, really kind of creating that offense in the back end, getting it up to those quick, skilled forwards. If that kid keeps progressing and he keeps developing, like this guy could end up being a perennial Norris kid, already better than what Riley is right now. And I think, you know, you could say that in you know, the Nylander and Marner and Pedersen and Besser is kind of a, that's a wash, right? I really do think so. Like, I know that we put Marner on a pedestal. He's such a gifted, you know, offensive player, pass first, really creative. Man, Pedersen's, you know, not that far off. And that kid, almost, I think he had 25, 30 goals this year as well, too. So, um, you know, similar build, both pretty slender, but super skilled, really creative. I think, I think you could have an argument that, yeah, you're right, man. I like, again, Matthew's the best player. He's a 50 goal a year kind of guy, but Quinn Hughes, if he keeps developing, man, in the open market, what would you rather have, right? That 50 goal sentiment or that 70, 80 point D man that is in the Norris corner station every year. I don't know, man. I think, you know, you can go either way. But the future is definitely bright for both those two squads, arguably the brightest in Canada for sure. So Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, uh, you got you add in a, a Jake Vertan in there, um, who's another up-and-coming guy, 23, 24 years old. So he's not, you know, he's not a spring chicken, but he's not, you know, in that, that middle age or, or later part of his career. Um, and then, you know, JT Miller still got a few years left, had a great season. So, and then you add Markstrom and Anderson, which I think is a, a wash. I would obviously say Markstrom's got way more upside and potential um, moving forward over the next 10 years than a, than a Fred, Freddie Anderson does just because of obviously age. But, um, 
I don't know. I don't, I don't, in my mind, I don't even think this is a question. I've, I've gone on air numerous times saying that that Leafs squad's just not good enough to play in the playoffs, especially up against the likes of uh, Boston, who's going to have a couple more years left with this squad. They don't seem to go away. And um, that's, I just think the Canucks are in great shape uh, moving forward. Let's flip over now uh, to that other series in the West here, old boy. Um, let's obviously the stars are, uh, you know, like we said, we've got the advantage of looking at the series and they're up to nothing in a surprising victory last night. This Colorado with, with no, uh, group hour and net now, it looks like for the foreseeable future, do they got any chance of coming back in this series? You know, what's so crazy, man, is who would have thought after, if you watch that Colorado Arizona series, who would have thought they'd be down two nothing after the first two games. And in that first game, like Nathan McKinnon's still been hot. He's still been contributing, been super yep. hot. I think he had three points the first game. He had a beautiful goal the second game. I think the biggest issue here right now, man, is that outside, like if you go top line for top line, I think that that Dallas top line of Ben, Sagan, Radjlov has been unbelievable, right? Unbelievable the first two games. They're definitely earning their keep. They're showing that pedigree of having been there, you know, not so much in the playoffs in terms of going on long runs, but, you know, playing high-level international hockey, and obviously Seguin was on a team back in Boston years ago when they went on that little bit of a cup run as well too, right? So I think it's that next level down, man. It's the little Joe Pavelskis. It's, yep. it's you know, the Corey Perrys yep. and the Dennis Garyanovs and all these guys. Klein, the Kleinberg, Kleinberg's in there, right? Right? And yeah. it's it's who's going to step up for Colorado to come back? Like, where's Nazem Kadri? Like, where, where's that second that second tier scoring? And I, I saw the head coach there, um, you know, for Colorado came out and – be something my my top line's flying I secondary scoring here right so i think that's obviously going to be the keep you know if they can come back and get some secondary scoring from that you know that second third line there and start winning those battles then obviously Colorado has a shot but you're right losing listen man they're both both teams are playing without their starting goalies right they both have now the second guy in there yeah so now let's see how deep you are right and let's see kind of how it how it shoots up um i don't know man it's it's crazy to think that that could have happened because i think you know, a lot of guys would have lost a lot of money on them being down 2 nothing after the first two, for sure. Yeah, and I was shocked last night. I went to bed last night. It was 2 nothing Colorado, and I'm, I'm just going, okay, this is exactly what I thought. You know, Dallas Dallas wins this uh, this first game and, and you know, m- maybe puts a little scare in everybody, but then the, the big guns come out and Colorado wins, and you wake up this morning, and all of a sudden you see the 5-2 final, and you're just, you're just in awe, right? You're sitting there going, well, okay, this could be different than we thought it was. You know who's really impressed me too, man? Before we go into the next series, that Miro Heiskanen kid on defense for Dallas. Yep. Oh boy, man. Like coming into this series, that kid was leading the team in points. Okay. Now, you know, I think he was like in the 2017 draft, number three overall. Man, that guy right now, like you could arguably say he's the best blue liner left in the playoffs behind maybe like a Victor Hedman. Let's say that, you know, kind of a 1A, 1B. But man, wouldn't you love having that guy there? for another decade like this goes back to like the Quinn Hughes and the Heiskanen's like you can see man like you know as a Leaf fan we really do need to see you know someone take that next step if it's Riley or whatnot but be that perennial Norris conversation type defenseman where you know you're leading the team in points really driving the play and, and going up against the other team's best guys every night right it's just you can't you can't you know you just can't replace that type of production right so Yep, and that that's where Colorado needs to come up with that secondary scoring, whether it's uh, Landis Gog, Kadri, like you mentioned, uh, Miko Rantanen. It's got to be one of those guys that you know can steal a whole game for him and get him back into the series. You know, maybe one of those guys 
you know, scores two goals in a game or scores a hat trick in a game and um, literally single handedly puts them on their back and, and wins them a game and gets that confidence back for them. Right. Yeah. It's not done yet, but it's going to be an uphill battle, man. I think if they can get the next, obviously they got to get the next one. If they get the next one and, you know, maybe they put a little bit of a dent to them, kind of beat it, slap them around a bit, beat them like kind of by, you know, a couple goals and kind of establish that confidence and get some other guys going. They got a shot at making a series, but, you know, right now it doesn't look pretty, man, for sure. All right, so let's flip over to the East there, and we'll start with the with to me what the non sexy matchup is, and and not the matchup that everybody uh, was looking forward to watching, and that that was the Islanders and the Flyers. A uh, little bit of a down and dirty, knock down, drag them out type of hockey. Um, you know, the Islanders don't play the most exciting type of hockey, but they get it done. Islanders, Flyers, what do you uh, what do you think? Where uh, where your thoughts lie there? I've been all over Barry Trotz right from the start, even with Dutch uh, when we were in the playoff round. I think he's the best coach in, in hockey in the last 20 years myself. Um, but do you think the Flyers got enough? They're hot. They've come in hot right off the top here, and they've just kept it rolling, uh, eliminating Montreal. Do you think they can uh, get by the Islanders, even though I believe they're down one nothing, right? So. Yeah, they're down one nothing. You know, you called it, man. Like, if you're looking for sexy hockey, this isn't the series for you, right? Like, Isles and Flyers come in second and third in terms of goals allowed per game, right? So, I think the X factor is going to be, you know, who comes up big in net, right? So, you can arguably say that right now in the Eastern Conference, the two, you know, kind of consummate potential winners there out of this series are the two goalies, right? It's Carter Hart and it's Varlamov, right? And yep. right now, Varlamov got game one, second consecutive shutout. You know, I saw a crazy stat, man. Like, these Islanders are 5-1 and one when scoring first, and that's now nine straight games of allowing less than 30 shots on net. And you called it, man. Barry Trotz, this system. You know, don't play outside your comfort zone. They got enough talent up front with, like, the Barzals and the Anders Lees and Beauvillier and guys like that, that if you give them a chance, they can get one on you. But they're not going up, and it's not a track meet. It's, you know, grinding it out for every inch of ice, keeping shots down, and just looking for that chance. Whether it be on the power play or kind of an odd man rush, and take your shots as you get them and, and just, you know, and try and convert when you get those opportunities. You know, I, I man, I'm, I'm with you, buddy. I think right now, if this thing continues as it does, I think you're looking at Isles and six. And I think Varlamov's right there, man, at the end of this series, looking for the consummate. He's right in the hunt, for sure. Yeah, and there's there's no doubt. It, it just seems that the, the Islanders in every game, it's like 2 nothing, 2-1, and they just continue to wear you down, and they, they – you know, it's almost like that NFL team that forces you into third and long, third and long, and then you, you throw the pick. You know, they start pushing up the ice, and then all of a sudden on the counterattack or even in, in soccer, you know, you, you, you push up the ice at the wrong time or you push up the pitch at the wrong time, and the next thing you know, it's coming back the other way, and it's in the back of your net, and, you, and all of a sudden you're down 3-1, 4-1, and, and the game's over. Like, it's just it's the same formula every night, night in, night out, and it, it continues to work with, with the lineup that they have, right? Hundred percent, man. No, you listen. You know what? Like I said, not sexy, not pretty to watch, but it's effective. And I hate to say it, man, as a Leaf fan, I get it. It's sexy to have this track meet, all this talent. But wouldn't you like to be playing hockey still right now? Like, wouldn't you love to be yep. still having a, a team that's went out and got results? And forget how good it looks. Just, just win, baby. Al Davis, man, just win. You know, I like, love it. it. Seriously, right? So anyway, no, man. So and and what about this next one here? I guess they're they're playing right now as we speak. So I'm not really keeping a close eye. I think they're. It was I think they're tied going to the third, but Boston and Tampa. Let's. Uh, why don't you lead it off, pal? What are you thinking? This is a must-win for Tampa. They cannot fall behind uh, two nothing against this Boston squad. These guys are are uh, finishers in Boston. Same same group, same core guys. 
you know, I'm not going to insult the intelligence of our, of our listeners. Um, they need to be able to win this hockey game. Uh, and that's just an absolute no doubter. Chara, Bergeron, these guys, all they do is win. And, and it's, it's for a lot of us, especially Toronto fans, it's, it's sickening and we're all getting tired of it, but it's almost like the new England story in the NFL. It's, it gets boring, but hey, you got to go ahead and and eat it and chew it up and spit it out and and continue to watch it. Yeah, no, listen, man. You know, I think really for Tampa, it's a similar conversation we had with Colorado, right? Is that outside of Kucherov and Point, the star guys on that top line, Tampa hasn't been getting consistent scoring from the rest of the forward group, right? So Stamkos is out game one. He's out again tonight. They need him back, right? They, if he comes back, that could be a massive difference maker. If they can win tonight and all of a sudden Stamkos suits up for game three or game four, and maybe they're down 2-1, but he's back in the lineup for game four, that could be the difference that can maybe sway this in one way or the other. And the thing to consider, obviously, is the goaltending matchup, right? Like, Rask's opted, opted out. It's Halak's crease now. You know, he's been pretty decent so far in the playoffs. But when I was looking at it, and you look at kind of, you know, thinking back recent history against Tampa – it hasn't been so hot, right? He has a GAA, you know, kind of just under three, you know, save percentage under 900 in, in 10 games versus Tampa. I came into it thinking if Stamkos was healthy and he was playing this series, I was leaning Tampa in seven. But if he's not back and I don't start seeing something else from that secondary scoring in Tampa, I think it's Bruins. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I had uh, I had Tampa on, on all of our picks right from the start. Uh, both Dutch and I had him going deep. I'm going to stick with them. I think they're going to pull it out tonight here. Uh, last time I checked, it was 1-1. But um, I, I have to agree with you on that side, that without the secondary scoring, Tampa's going to be in tough to win that series, period. Big time. So let's uh, let's flip over uh, now to, uh, to the NFL. Dutch and I uh, were gearing up here. We did a little top five, uh, which most of our listeners heard, and I'm sure you heard as well. Uh, top five NFL current running backs. We got a little three-week uh, segment series here, and we're flipping over to wide receivers here, old boy. And I know you've uh, you've done your homework. You were excited about this topic. Um, what did you think? What did you think in your research? How did you uh, how did you uh, go about looking at these wide receivers, ranking them? I listen, man. I love the topic. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's arguably the best topic of the ones you guys are going to be going about in terms of kind of overview and kind of overlooking, you know, all the major skilled positions in the NFL. Because, you know, I think it was last month, you know, Keenan Allen came out, kind of debating this exact topic, which is, you know, this big debate around, especially the wide receiving position. You know, how do you compare these guys that are just that are, that are physically more dominant, that are bigger, faster at the position, versus guys like himself, like Stephon Diggs. Guys who can generate separation via just excellent route running and understanding the full root tree and understanding, you know, defenses and how to find that soft spot in the zone or how to, you know, use leverage or whatnot, right? So I love it, man, because Keenan Allen came out on, I think it was on Twitter yep. or Instagram or whatnot, yep. just blasted guys. Yep. You know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, XYZ, you're not as good as me. You may be bigger, stronger than me, but I'm a better, I'm better at my craft, right? So, you know, when I'm going about this and I was thinking about it, Ah, I was like, man, you know, how do, how do I view it? And for me personally, I hate to say it, I do kind of lean more towards those, you know, physical specimens, guys that are just physically dominant in that position, that he have some type of over-the-top physical trait that allows him to be excellent at that position. So 
I got my five. I think. What are you doing? You like going from five all the way up to one? You like kind yeah. of working your way. Yeah, I'll, up? I'll start okay. us off here. I'll start us off, and you and, go. Uh, I like to work, as we say here on the Ginger and Dutch podcast, started from the bottom, now we're here. So we'll uh, we'll start with number five, and I know a lot of people may disagree, and it's exactly where you left off there with one of those physical specimens and uh, hasn't had the advantage of playing with some big top-notch quarterbacks like some of the other guys in my top five, but all this kid's done is put up numbers in, uh, in the six years uh, or seven years now in the NFL. And now he's got one of those potential guys in Tom Brady. And my number five starts with Mike Evans. Uh, absolutely phenomenal numbers right from the start. Big play guy, averages big yards. Uh, not so much on the yak side, but just the ability to go downfield, go up and get the ball in those one-on-one situations. You look at it, 12 touchdowns in his rookie year, uh, 96, 71, 86, and 67 catches those are his catch numbers and 67 in 13 games last season um 12 touchdowns five touchdowns eight so the the guy's averaging almost 80 catches a year at eight touchdowns and he's played with ryan fitzpatrick and Jameis winston as kind of his main quarterbacks here like just a guy that puts up numbers and doesn't have the the top-notch quarterback um you know is he a is he a true route runner per se absolutely not Mike Evans ain't going to be able to run you every route in the tree and be able to always get separation. But what he can do is go up and get the football. He's great at a high point in that football. And he's a big play guy. Doesn't always get the publicity playing in Tampa, but I think now with Brady, that could be a different story. And he's a guy I think with more TV coverage is that the crowd, more crowds are going to become to respect him uh, with the more viewers that he gets watching those bucks games this year. I'm 100% all in on that. Between you and I, I had him at number four. Honestly, bro, I can't wait to see him this year with Brady. I think it's going to be massive in terms of that next step, in terms of what they can do in that offense this year. I had him at my number four, so I'm with you totally on that on that evaluation. So a guy here, my next guy, number four, I actually had him down at number six, and I was thinking about it all evening. I was putting my daughter to bed, and I started to run through it in my brain, going division, division, team through team. Hey, is there anybody I'm missing? You know, guys start to pop into your head, Cortland Sutton and and uh, Tyler Lockett and, you know, A.J. Green coming back. And you, you just start to go through so many good wide receivers in the NFL. And I looked at this guy and I had him at number six. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back and look. And I just went back and looked and he just started to fly up my board. He went from six to five and, and he snuck past Evans and, and came in finally at number four. And, yeah, he's got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. But that's Devontae Adams. Um, just an absolute stud. You know, 75 catches rookie year, 74 second year, 111. And last year, 83 catches on a run-first football team in 12 games. Um, three out of his four season, double-digit touchdowns. The guy's just an absolute stud. Yeah, he's got a great quarterback thrown to him, but you can't always hold that against people. I got Devontae Adams at my number four from the Green Bay Packers. Love it. I actually had him at six, so I was right there. I had him at six. I have Evans at four. I got a guy at five that I think you probably don't have in your top five, and we can have that debate after you finish your list here, man. Okay. Continue on, my yep. friends. Jones. Um, what more do I need to say? Uh, the guy's been over 1,400 yards in six straight seasons, folks. Over 1,400 yards in six straight seasons. 
absolutely phenomenal. He's only missed three games. He had the one big injury early on in his career. He's averaging 89 catches a season, uh, seven touchdowns, great connection with Matt Ryan. And he's showing one of my up and covers, which I'll leave for a little bit later on, um, the ropes. And he's teaching this kid um, to be the next Julio Jones. All you need to say is Julio. There's not too many guys in the NFL that you can refer to by first name and every NFL fan will know exactly who you're talking about and there'll be no questions asked. And that's Julio Jones coming in at number three. Love it. Love it. I'm going to save it for you here, pal, but I'm going to let you know this. He's my number one. <laughs> I had him <laughs> on my list as my number one guy. And and listen, we're going to have a debate because I know who you got number one, and I probably have him in number two. So continue on. But I got – listen, man, my thing with Julio, and this is, what, this is my favorite side of Julio, the guy has an average yard per target over his career, 9.7 yards, meaning every time they throw this guy the ball – they're basically getting a first down. Yeah. Right. That's got, he's like, he's automatic. And I know he's getting older. He's 31 years old now. And maybe he doesn't find pay dirt as often as he should given his production. But man, this guy, like you said, six years, last six years, this guy's averaged almost over 1,500 yards per year. He's a beast. He's a physical specimen. There's a reason why they traded the number first. They did go up and get this guy. He's my boy. He's my number one. Let's continue. I want to hear who else you got. So, number two. Goes to and you know this is a guy that I've been hot and cold on for for his career um, the last couple of years, but you know what? Uh, Eleven hundred and thirty-seven, twelve hundred and forty-five, fourteen hundred and seven hundred and twenty-five. Those are the receiving yards for the record-breaking last season, Michael Thomas. Same kind of boat as Adams and Jones. People are going to say, okay, he's got one of the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history and Drew Brees throwing him the ball, but he's consistently in the end zone. And he's, you want to talk about a guy who can run the route tree from start to finish um, from one to nine. That's Michael Thomas. This guy, all he does is get open. He's double covered on every single play. Um, Same as Julio. Um, No real threats until, you know, Julio had a couple good options on the other side. Uh, with with Roddy White, but uh, Michael Thomas is just a machine facing double coverage all the time. All he does is get open. Michael Thomas coming in at my number two NFL current wide receiver. I had Mike Thomas in my number two as well, too, man. He, he, listen, I you can go on and on say, you know, this guy, he, you know, he broke Marvin's single season reception record last year, you know, became only the second wideout ever to win offensive player of the year, joining Jerry Rice. Listen, the guy's got loads of talent. They don't call him can't guard Mike for nothing, right? The guy gets open, yep. right? But the reality is this. And my, my, the reason why I couldn't put him at number one just yet, I couldn't crown the man, is because when I look at him, I just feel like that entire stat line's made up of like these, you know, seven to 15-yard little hitches, slants, little pop, pop, pop. And it, that whole system, like we said, is designed around him and Drew Brees getting that ball out quick and Mike Thomas getting open, right? Whether it be in the slot or out wide, you name it. He's super talented. I just couldn't crown him yet. And I think really what it came down to is he just didn't impress me enough physically. Like, I was thinking back in my mind, do I have a memory of Mike Thomas going up over the top and hauling in like a 50-yard bomb and, you know, beating a guy, you know, contesting a DB, going up and getting it, or beating him just flat out, beating him out in space. And I just couldn't remember a play where he did that. And I was like, I get it. He provides a ton of value in the intermediate part of the field. But I need you to show me that you can go deep and go get that ball and go and go beat him. Go beat him deep, right? Just run a fucking fly. Sorry. 
run a fly and go go get it, man. Go and go and go put six on the board, right? So, anyways, I just couldn't crown the man just yet. I have my number two as well. That's all good there. I like a, like a little fire there from the old boy on the Ginger and Dutch podcast. We never say you can't swear on here, so no need to apologize for that. There you go. There you go. There you go, old boy. Um, all right. Yeah, you know it. what? It, it's it the the thing with with Thomas is is. And I've kind of thought the same thing. And, and you think, you know, hey, it, it part of it's Breeze. Part of it's the system. Because Sean Payton is so talented at what he does. He's such a good play caller. And he's such a good schemer at getting guys open. Like the list, go, you know, Marquise Colston. And, and you look at Shockey. And you look at all these guys that have gone through there. And, you know, they've been, they've been talented guys. But the numbers that they put up there are, and they go to these other teams. And it just doesn't equate, right? Which tells you that. You know, Peyton's doing a hell of a job at what he's doing and, and what he's scheming, right? 100%. So he's arguably one of the best offensive minds. And, and like you said, you're dealing with one of the most accurate quarterbacks, you know, in NFL history, right? So listen, man, it's a kind of a perfect storm, right? But so let's hear it, bro. Let's hear it. Who do you got up top, man? Let's well, there's no other option. I think the listeners will uh, process of elimination here and, and they, uh, they would probably know by now. But um, come on, I'm just going to read you a list of names. Brock Osweiler, Tom Savage, TJ Yates, <laughs> Ryan Mallett, Matt Schaub, Brian Hoyer, and finally Deshaun Watson. But the best receiver in the NFL right now, and to me in the last five years, is DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, to me, there's no doubt. He can run every route in the book. He can beat you deep. He can go up against all those number one corners and get the job done. Um Five out of the last seven seasons, over 1,200 yards. Uh, the guy's missed two games in his seven-year career, which is crazy to me for a, a wide receiver that's catching that many balls, taking that many licks. Um, and those quick twitch muscles, the hamstrings, the groins, the ankles, the knees, all that stuff. The guy's only missed two two games in his career. The last, what, three seasons now with Watson, 1,400, 1,600, 1,250 yards. So he's shown you what he can do with an, a top-notch quarterback. 96 receptions, 115 receptions, 104. Those are his reception numbers in the last three years. You know, you give him Watson for seven years, this guy's already in the Hall of Fame to me, and he's the best He's the best wide receiver in my mind, hands down, in the NFL. Listen, man, I had him at my number three, but I think this year, you put him in that system with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, and you let the man free. You just let him let him go eat, man. This guy, I think we can even have this conversation next year, and he may very well he be, he may be at the top of my list because I just think that this year is going to be a massive year for him. And obviously, you hope that him and Kyler and Cliff can get on the same page. Obviously, it's going to be a more challenging off season with what's going on with COVID nineteen and whatnot. But man, you know, after Stephon Diggs coming to join Buffalo. This man, for in terms of excitement, I can't wait to see how he works out. Like this, for me, is right there because I just think he's so talented. And you know, Bill O'Brien doesn't have a goddamn clue. And I think now you're going to put him in a system where it's just like, man, let him shine and let him go eat. And I think it's going to be awesome, man. So, listen, you know, you and I had a lot of the same kind of pieces, kind of just intermingled one or one or two here or there. Yep. The one guy that I had that I think you don't maybe you didn't even have in your top ten potentially is at number five on my board. I had the cheetah. Mr. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. And now listen. So l- let me give you the case on how I ended up there. And really what it just came down to, man, is we're going back to physical abilities, physical skill set. And this the reality is that this guy has something no one else can match, and that's that electrifying speed, right? So 
here's a crazy stat for you. When I saw this stat, I said, I got to find a way to get this guy in my top five because I just couldn't believe it, right? So since entering the NFL in 2016, this man has 17 touchdowns of 50 yards or more. Ooh. And there's no other player that even has 10. So ultimately, like, this guy is just if – you're, if you're scheming against this man – and you saw it in the Super Bowl, right? Like, that game was, like, dead for nothing. All of a sudden, this guy gets – you know, no, he didn't yeah. get to the house. But he just found a way over the top. And, and it changed the game. And I think that's what it comes down to is that this guy makes defenses have to account for him on every single play because if you take a playoff, he's going to beat you deep and he's going to put six on the board and you're going to be left there wondering how the hell did you let it happen, right? So he's not the most sophisticated route runner. And I know he's more of kind of a gadget type guy, but at the end of the day, man, that speed and with him and Patty Mahomes and the chemistry they have together, I had to find room to put him up there. And again, it was all predicated on me just saying, you know what? It wasn't so much about route running and understanding the position. It was just about give me the biggest freaks, freak athletes out there that play that position and where they all line up. And that's how I ended up with Julio at number one and Cheetah at number five. And that was probably like how you and I were, you know, I say the most different on our, on our top five list. There. Yeah. And, so. and I think, I think for most listeners and I don't know what, what I, how I felt about this list different from my, my running back list. And I know will be different than the quarterback list is I kind of felt that the top three were locks. Like I kind of felt that Hopkins, Thomas, and Jones, like, yeah, there, there was no, you, I don't, I just, I don't see an argument around, in some form or fashion. Okay, you want to have Julio at one, that's fine. You want to have Thomas at one, that's fine. You want to have Hopkins at one, that's cool. But in some form or fashion, to me, you've got to have those three guys as your top three. What I found 100%. fun about the list was four through to me. When I start, you start to run it down four through like twelve. And you can make a list for any of them. You look at a guy like Brandon Cooks. Yeah, he had an off year last year, but look what he did in the first four years of his career with rotating around into different systems. A Tyreek Hill, you found a way to get him in your five. A Keenan Allen, who we started off with. Um, Jarvis Landry. You know, OBJ isn't even the best wide receiver on his team. Um, a Jarvis Landry. That guy's yeah. put up ridiculous numbers in his career. As much as I hate him and he, he's a piece of shit, um, all he does is all he does is uh, catch balls and get open. Thielen, yeah. Diggs, Galladay, um, which you might bring up in a minute here. Tyler Lockett, like there's just so many good guys out there that we can rotate through. So I know you wanted to bring up a couple guys uh, on your end of of who to look out for. What uh, who do you like com- this upcoming season? Yeah, listen, I had a bunch of guys I was going on and on with thinking about like you know you mentioned Cortland Sutton, like that guy's a physical specimen. If you think that Drew Lock's going to take that next step. Cortland Sutton's going to be a big piece of it, right? And they have arguably, you know, you can say that they got a three wide receiver core now, young guys, young, talented kids that, you know, Jerry Judy and that kid, KJ Hamler out of Penn State, they got like three of the best young, you know, wideouts in the game, right? And they're going to be a super exciting offense and Cortland Sutton's leading the way. Now, I didn't have him. And I know my dad was pushing me to say, hey, can you find room for Terry McClure in this conversation? And I didn't have him. So I just can't trust Dwayne Haskins, although the kid's looking chiseled this off, off season. I've seen him with the shirt off, man. The boy looks like he lost a little bit of weight. I think he's going to probably end up, you know, having a pretty good season this year. But the guy that I kept coming back to, and I'm super excited to see how he's going to keep progressing, Mr. Kenny Dolliday. Kenny Dolliday, baby. Yep. And the reason why is this guy last year leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns. And Matty Stafford was pretty much gone after what? Week six, week seven, yep. with that broken back. Yep. And then you have David Blau and these like no-name guys literally coming out of the XFL at quarterback. And this guy's still getting open. Like, you're looking at average yard per target, 10.3 yards, right? Getting open, getting open downfield. 
I just can't wait to see that if Matt Stafford is fully healthy, I know you're super high on him. I remember you guys talked about in your NFC North preview that you're high on that Lions offense. Marvin Jones, Amendola underneath, Hawkinson, yep. Swift, Karrion Johnson in the backfield. They're going to be a pretty fun offense to watch. And Galladay is going to be the guy stirring the drink, man. And if Matty Stafford's healthy, watch out. This guy's going to be in the hunt. And I think if you're in a fantasy draft, I know we don't want to go down that road, but man, if you miss on one of the big boys and you can grab like a Kenny Galladay in like a third, fourth round, he could easily end up being your wideout number one if at the end of the year he ends up being fully healthy. Same with Matty Stafford. That's my guy that I'm excited to see how he takes that next step this season. Yeah, and, and what you love about Galladay is, is that he, he, he's got the physical attributes to go up and get it. And he can run the route, so he's got everything needed to, um, you know, take that next step. A kid that I, a kid that I love, and and I touched on him briefly is is obviously Calvin Ridley. But another kid I had circled is uh, a kid for the uh, Los Angeles Rams, and that's Cooper Cup. Um, yeah, he had the big big injury, but this kid is an absolute route runner. Um, led the league in 2018 and 19 in um, separation yard separation he's over well over three yards when you look at all those numbers and you break it down on the on the next gen stats you know you get the you get the tight ends and you get these slot receivers that you know they're gonna they're gonna lead the league but what i love about cup is that he's not over always over the middle of the field sometimes he's out on the boundary sometimes he's in the slot he's at the x he's at the y um he's he's running the jet sweeps like he can just about do everything and he's not afraid to get his nose dirty and, and block in there, which is something from a wide wide receiver perspective doesn't get brought up a lot, but it is important. And uh, I think he's a guy that's ready to take that next step along with Calvin Ridley as well. Love it. Love watching the kid play, man. I love these guys. These small school guys. Like literally, I think was he playing D two ball? Or he was playing for like what was it, like a non like Eastern Washington or something yep. like that, right? Yep. Super talented, like you said can run that full tree. And what I love too, is that he's playing assistant Sean McVay and Jared Goff. Like they're going to be doing some interesting shit to get him open. And listen, man, I think the Rams are, you know, listen, they're going to come back this year. I think if they're fully healthy and everyone's there and they're clicking, they can have a bounce back. And I think no one's talking about them in the NFC West, but you know, they still are going to have the best player on defense in the entire league at Aaron Donald, who's going to be causing problems. And at the end of the day, that offense, man, you know, Cam Akers come in watch out. Like, I think they're going to be fun to watch. I, I'm looking forward to seeing them play. Can't yep. wait. For sure, and the thing with them is, is that you know they get the offensive line healthy. That's a big thing in the McVay offense, and and um, everything just works off of that. They run out of that eleven personnel, and they get play action going, and and just look out right. So yeah, well, awesome, let's uh, that's great. a beauty way to send us off the break. Nice little wide receiver breakdown for our listeners there. So listeners, enjoy the break, and we'll catch you on the flip side. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. So welcome to Ginger and Dutch. It's not Starsky and Hutch. It's Ginger and Dutch. All right, listeners. Welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Ginger and Dutch. As always, we're jam-packed here now knee deep in sports so uh let's get right into it we're gonna bring you into the ginger and dutch blitz here comes the here comes the here comes the y'all don't really want it like here comes the here comes the blitz oh boy major league baseball 
Uh, Blue Jays are are settling in here in Buffalo, starting to play a little bit of a better ball. How are they going to do this baseball thing uh, with all these teams? We got the Cardinals have played like seventeen games. We got Fernando Tortis hitting dingers on a on a three zero count. Supposedly he's not supposed to hit dingers. Talk to me here. Listen, man. So let's start with the Jays. They're playing some great ball right now. I'll be honest with you, pal. When when Bo went down, I thought that's it. They're toast. But you know they've had some bad step up, right? You know Hernandez, Gurriel, Gritchick, Gritchick, man, baby. The last couple of weeks he's been red hot, right? So you know I'm hoping. Yeah, I think he tweaked his back today, hoping he's not out for a long time here. I think he played again today, but you know one thing to keep your eye on is obviously what are they going to do with that staff? That staff's hurt right now. They need they need to replace some of those arms. Thornton, Shoemaker, Pearson, all down. You know, with these expanded playoffs, if they're going to make a run for it here, you know, Atkins has got to go out and help them out, bring in a couple arms just to kind of get them over the hump here. In terms of Tatis Jr., listen, man, the whole thing is complete and utter BS. It's BS. At the end of the day, man, if you're a young kid and you're watching baseball, I want to see dingers, man. I want to see dingers. I don't want to see guys working full counts because here's the deal. Shortened season, every game, every at-bat matters even more than anything else, right? So, yeah, I get it. You're up big late, and it's a 3-0 count, and the sacks are drunk. At the end of the day, man, let's say he goes and he takes that one off and it's three two. Then he hits into a double player, you know, into a ground out or force out, and the inning's over. And then they come back and lose that game. And at the end of the year, they're down and not making the playoffs by game. You can't, man. At the end of the day, you got to keep going every at bat, every pitch, and keep pushing it. You know, I got a young guy. Every morning he wakes up, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't want to watch who got a walk or who to see dingers, baby. Every day he goes, "Who hit a home run last night?" Show that's me right. the dingers, Dad. Show me the whole. Show me the highlights, right? Like that's what kids want to see. And I think baseball's at risk of you know becoming irrelevant for that generation if they don't accept the fact that you got to move forward here, man. Move forward and just move you know into the future here with having fun and and just you know pimping home runs and and having fun out there because that's what it's all about. You know, let the young stars have fun. So, how are they gonna how are they gonna do this this uh, with all this COVID stuff? We got we got the the Cardinals that have they're way behind everybody. They're thirteen games obviously behind. Uh, like, do you think they're going to try to make it up, or do you think they're going to try to work off of uh, a winning percentage? Or, or... I, I think they may have to. I just don't know if they're going to be able to find a way to make it work, right? So, listen, I think with an expanded playoffs, essentially what they're saying is that regular season doesn't mean anywhere near as much as it did in the past. At the end of the day, you're hoping that the top eight teams in both sides, the cream will rise, and that eventually will be able to kind of work out those kinks and and get the meaningful baseball out at the end where you have the, the eight best teams there making it through. Like, I can't imagine you're going to get to see a team where – they get hit with COVID, and at the end of the day, you know, even if they miss, you know, 10, 15 games or whatnot, I think the cream is ultimately going to rise to the top, assuming no one gets really sick and there aren't, like, complete write-offs of seasons here, right? So, at the end of the day, I do think that what's going to end up happening, they'll have to defer to a winning percentage, and, you know, the best will hopefully shine at the end of the day. And, and listen, we all know that this season is going to have an asterisk beside at the end of the day, and it is a little bit of a different season. I just hope that they keep going forward because, ultimately, this is the model the NFL is going to be looking at, right? When you don't play in a bubble, you're at risk of this type of behavior happening, right? So. I'm hoping they can figure it out. That's all. So yeah, for sure. And and I think they'll get it figured out. And I think it's this season, this baseball season. I've been paying attention to it, and it's been fun. I I love the fact that uh, we've got a couple surprise teams. You know, the Padres, eighteen and twelve going into tonight. You got the White Sox up there. Um, you know, the old uh, Red Sox are taking a shit. So it's nice to see some of these uh, new teams and different teams come up. Um, and hopefully, you know, the Blue Jays can stick around. So. And the shortened season may help that. So I think it's uh, it's worth the ride, and, and I'm along for it. And let's see uh, how far these Jays can take us. 100%. Looking forward to it, pal. All right. Fire at me with a little NBA chat here, old boy. Well, listen, you know, 
because I sent you a message Sunday when it happened, and I was, was floored. You know, I was sitting here trying to get the kids ready for bed and whatnot, and you know, I'm, you know, you, know you, you, you see the game going overtime. You're gonna go in there and take a peek and see what happened, and just, you know, watch it five minutes or so and just see how it ends up. But man, Luka Doncic, man, like this kid here, that dagger, that three the other night, like this kid is super special. And I'm sorry, but I got to pour, you know, a little bit of liquor here for my boy Reggie Jackson getting absolute roasted in the second half of that game. The kid got roasted, and I felt bad because I'm not, I'm not winning three there. I don't know why Kawhi switched off because at the end of the day, like, that's not a fair matchup for Reggie Jackson. He's just not skilled enough to go ahead and guard a kid like Luka Doncic. But, you know, I think we're going to look back on that shot, man. And this is like Jordan over Elo versus the Cavs. Like, you're going to look back on this kid's career 10, 15 years from now, and this is going to be that iconic shot of, like, a guy dropping 40-plus in overtime, winning on a game-winning basket, and it's just that iconic image. Now, you know, I, it, how great would it have been if there were fans in the stadium to watch that happen? But the kid's super special, man. I love watching him play. Well, and it, the, you nailed the, the point there. This is the new NBA, though. The old NBA, that would have been Jordan covering him the whole way through. Instead, it's a switch-off. And Kawhi, who's their best defender, it switches off, and now he's on Reggie. Like, it's just – I just don't get it. I just – I know that they're, you know, the the fad in this NBA is everything switched and and they they game plan around it and they that's what they look for and you know, but come on, Kawhi, you've got to get on him there. Like, and now you he's got to be scared. Like he's in the middle of a series here, and it, to me as a as a as a homer and as a Raptors fan, it's a nice little shot back at Kawhi to say, you know what, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't have left here because now you're finding yourself two two tied in a series against a kid who, yeah, okay, his ankle could be hurting a little bit, but he's as hot and as good as anybody in the NBA right now. And uh, you know what? I hope he gets a full scare, and I, I hope Dallas takes him right to seven and, and if not, beats him. I love to see it. You could, Man, if you look at it right now, the first four games, Dallas didn't have that full lineup healthy nope. for that fourth quarter, right? Nope. Whether it be Przingis getting nope. ejected or, you know, Lucas spraining his ankle or getting fouled out there in foul trouble in game two, and then Przingis is being out altogether in game four. I think if that entire starting five for Dallas is on the court, I think Porzingis is out again tonight for yes, game five. Yes, he is. I was just going to say that old boy. He's out again tonight for game five. Yep. Right? So we'll see how it shakes down. But, man, like, other than Dallas in that series, which I think has been the best one so far, what other team have you been watching? You're like, wow, man, you totally surprised me at the way you've been playing so far. Who do well, you like so far? Well, I thought, you know what? I thought the Utah Jazz have looked good. I, I don't know how the game ended up tonight. They were up uh, They were up five going into the, the fourth quarter to close out the Nuggets. But, you know, I, th- I I didn't mind the Nuggets, and, and I know that, you know, they were missing Barton and Gary Harris, and they were a little bit banged up, but uh, I've been really pleasantly surprised by Utah in the West. I thought they've been pretty uh, pretty strong, and you know what? I, I don't know where it ended up, like I said, if they could close them out. I and, think Denver held on tonight. I have, I have to confirm that, but I think they held on. So they held on. The so now they're in the middle yeah. of a series, so it's 3-2, yeah. but they've got a shot. And I thought Denver was going to roast them. I thought Denver in five or six at most, so I didn't see it on, on this side at all. And I was surprised by how much Boston just pounded Philly. Um, I know a part of that was Philly just not even showing up, but it scared me a little bit Uh with them sweeping the 76ers that easy. I know they fired Brett Brown and it was about time that happened because they've been underperforming in my mind for, for a couple of years now here, but um, I'm a little bit scared if Lowry is not fully healthy and this, this Celtic squad comes in and they play like they played against the 76ers. 
uh, we're in tough. We're in seriously tough, and and the you know winning the back-to-back championships is is going to be in jeopardy. I think if uh, if Lowry's not healthy and at the top of his game, hundred percent. I think that both of the top two in the East are in, are in for a rough go here. That Miami team looks pretty damn good as well too right now. Yep. Um, you know if you get you know Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson, some of these guys getting hot from outside. You got Jimmy. You know, just that heart and soul type guy. Drag is calling the shots in the backcourt there as, a, as that point guard. They're going to give Giannis a, a challenge too, man. And don't be surprised if Miami pushes them to six or seven games as well too. And I hate to say it, pal, I think you called it. If Kyle Lowry's not healthy and if he's not fully fit, I think Boston takes the series in, in six. I just hate to say it, man. I just feel like, you know, Kemba coming over this year, that's just that different maker. It's another guy who can go out there and just, you know, make a big shot late. And Tatum's taking that next step. And Jalen Brown also is just – Phenomenal player, and you got a guy like Marcus Smart, meat and potatoes guy, heavy, tough nose, good defender. They're going to be a tough team, and I think if Gordon Hayward wasn't hurt, I hate to say it, pal, I even think if Kyle was there, I think that Boston may have been taking him out because. And you can look at the regular season and say, okay, yeah, they're one and three against them, against them in the regular season. I guess an zero and one in the bubble. I know regular season doesn't mean jack, but at the end of the day, man, this Boston team is young, they're hungry, and they're going to push them. And now you're going to see, you know, Nick Nurse, coach of the year. Let's see what you got. Let's scheme something up here because. You know, if they're not fully fit and you're relying on those second-tier guys to make those shots, you know, the Freddies, the Norms and whatnot, let's see what's up, man, because Boston's going to push them. And it's going to be a – this is actually going to be an absolute classic series, man. Like, bet, better than last year's Philly series in terms of it's going to go seven and, like, last shot wins kind of thing. It's yeah. Be a great series. Yeah, and I think so, too. And I think I think Nick Nurse, uh, you know, congratulations, obviously, on the, the Coach of the Year award and, and pretty cool to bring that home. But he's also in – he's in a coaching – battle in this series in himself um, 100%. you talk about a, a guy that's uh able to scheme up and and not afraid to try different things like nurse tried the box and one and and different zones and and different plays and um you know brad stevens is a great basketball mind and, and he's gonna have uh his game plan set up and and i think he can go toe-to-toe with nurse as compared to you know you look at a brett brown or a mike burden holder uh for the box like I, I think Nurse's hands above hands above both of those two guys. I think Brad Stevens is on Nurse's level, and um, he's in a challenge, coaching challenge himself in this series for sure. Hundred percent, I'm with you on that one for sure. So let's flip it over to uh, some big news that doesn't always happen here in Canada, um, and talk about the Champions League final. It was something obviously sports has happened uh, in Europe right off the hop with the the Bundesliga, and they kind of let us off here in sports before it came back over to North America after the COVID-19. But um, Alfonso Davies, creating history, uh, hosting that uh, that Champions League final trophy. What do, you, what do you think? No, listen, man, it's an amazing, absolutely amazing accomplishment, right? You have a kid here now who I think now owns a record for youngest defender ever to win the Champions League, right? Yep. It's hard to believe that 22 months ago, this guy was literally pl- plugging away for Vancouver in the MLS. And now here he is, starting 11 left back, the best club in the world, right? So I think it's just amazing how much he's progressed at such a young age. It was he 19 years old. Yep. Like the future of Canadian soccer, man, couldn't be any brighter. And as a side note, like if you want to talk about Canadian soccer, like how about Jonathan David? I don't know if you know that yep. name or as well too, but yep. like here's a kid, another young talent, right? Forward. I think he was playing in Belgium somewhere. The guy just got sold to Lille for 30 million euros, right? That's massive. And again, similar story, right? came over as a young kid refugee status from a you know from a war-torn country came to Canada landed at a young age came up through the system and now you're looking at that next crop man you got a, a kid now playing at Bayern Munich and you got another guy now 
in the French league as a young striker. Who knows? Maybe using this as a as a stepping stone and then moving to like you know, England, Spain, Italy, you name it, Germany, even. It's huge, man. I, it's super exciting as a Canadian soccer fan to think 2026 host co-hosting the World Cup that they could potentially have a nice solid core of guys just entering their prime at that point. Super exciting stuff, man. Well, and, and it's funny. I, you, I've been talking this with with a lot of people, and uh, you know they laugh at me about you know how important that World Cup is and how I think in the next decade you're going to see a big run on on not only Canadian soccer, but just soccer in general in Canada, just making it a more affordable sport, uh, making it more popular. And that's going to be ultra important. And, and to have this nucleus, you know, Jaden Nelson, kid with the TFC coming out of Brampton, yeah. real young. Ashton uh, Morgan playing in the, in the MLS, young guy. Uh, Richie Larea, Theo Blair, like, you you look at some of these young guys and and they're prominent on their team and okay you know those those four that i just mentioned there aren't over into the the next echelon of soccer in my mind which is that european level but um you know the mls is still a competitive league it's still you know you can play there and then go play for your your home country and still be competitive and to have that to me i'm i've been pumping the tires of not only Canadian soccer and, and soccer Canada, but just soccer in general about um, how important this world cup's going to be and, and how much of a fun ride this is going to be for soccer in Canada in general. I'm excited for it. Me too, man. Can't wait, buddy. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, like I said, you're watching that match and yeah, you know, you're kind of as a neutral is hoping for a good, a good game, a couple of goals here or there, but the whole time just watching Dave, you see me like, man, this guy is not out of sync at all. Like 19 years old playing for Bayern Munich. Like, it's crazy. And for me still, it's like, it's an amazing accomplishment. Like he had that great run against, uh, you know, Barcelona when they tore him apart eight two there. And he just, that beautiful run down the left side. And then, you know, he's just so skilled, man. It's not just the raw athleticism guy's super bright, sees the game. And you just got to think too, right. In terms of, you know, maybe eventually wearing the captain armband for Canada and what that does in terms of bringing up that next upper echelon of, of young guys and, and maybe being the leader of that team for years to come. Super exciting stuff, pal. So awesome. Well, I'm going to bring you into some uncharted territories, and I know you were uh, you were pounding the homework on this, but I'm going to bring you over to the, the PGA Tour. Ginger and uh, Dutch, we always do our picks here, and uh, Dutch is uh, on a little bit of an extended vacation, so um, we're going to throw you into the old water here and, and uh, get you on some picks here. So, Love it. Love it. Leave me off here, pal. Leave me in the uncharted territory, buddy. Let's so, see it. So we've... Uh, we've made our way into the FedEx cup playoffs here with the, uh, the BMW here and uh, great golf course at Olympia fields, uh, traditional layout hosted the 2003 U S open hosted the U S amateur in 2015. Uh, the list goes on and on, but uh, I'm excited for this week. I think uh, it's going to be a fun week. You know, typically here we, we do, you know, one, one big dog pick as we would call it uh, one guaranteed top 10 and then one kind of sleeper, kind of hard as we're into the FedEx Cup playoffs you look at that uh you look at that um field this week everybody's a big dog like any of these guys can win so so I'll lead us off and and obviously it'll be more of a two big dogs and then I got one sleeper I think I'll still classify him as a sleeper but um I'm going back to the well a few weeks back I picked John Rahm he won the golf tournament here for me and uh I'm going back he's got a great track record here in this golf tournament he had a great round on Sunday and he's going to keep that going. Um, my big dog of the week's going to John Rom. My second big dog of the week are my guaranteed top 10. And I think he's been gearing up for this fall run. And that's the big cat himself. And that's Tiger Woods. I haven't taken him all season long. 
Um, I'm going to the well on my boy Tiger. Just a, a hunch. The form hasn't been great. Yeah, he struggled, uh, you know, in that third round with Rory McIlroy. Uh, played again on Sunday with McIlroy. Played a little bit better. It was five under. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just get a gut feeling. And I'm going with Tiger Woods as my second big dog of the week. And my sleeper is Alex Norn. This guy's like rock solid. He's uh, been in four out of his last five tournaments inside the top ten. A nice little sleeper pick. He's probably going to come around for our betting listeners out there at 60, 70 to 1, maybe even more in this golf tournament. So uh, lay, you know, a few shekels down. It could get you a big return um, this week on the BMW. So, oh, boy, jump right in here. I want, I'm, I I'm love excited it. to well, hear your picks. So listen, man, you called it out. I'm obviously not a huge golf guy, especially when it comes to betting and, and watching it, you know, outside of the majors, right? But, you know, the first thing that I that jumped out at me when I looked at this golf course was the length, man. You know, sitting at almost 7,400 yards at a par 70 with seven par fours that are going to play north of 450 yards. First thing I said is I got to go out there and find some, a couple big bombers who are going to be hopefully near the top this week, right? And yep. you mentioned that 2015 U.S. Amateur. Any idea who won that tournament? <laughs> yep. Mr. Bryson Shamble, right? So I'm going to go back to the well, and I think he's going to be, you know, kind of my, my more upper echelon kind of, my you know my my favorite pick this week at 15 to 1 he's definitely a guy that i have an eye on another guy that i have an eye on again big bomber who i guess is putting has been kind of holding him back recently is mr tony Finau, 34 to 1 yeah i think tony's gonna have a, a good run this week as well too and last but not least and here's a guy that i think more than anything you know he hasn't um but he needs a top 10 here if he wants to play next week and and, and crack that top 30 in the fedex standings right so a guy i'm looking at at 41 to 1 is mr adam scott the aussie i think he's got a shot here Again, I'm looking at guys that, that tend to play well in those longer par fours, and all three of those guys kind of fit that bill. You know, it's funny you're talking about that, you know, the, the NCAA tournament running through there as well, too, the Illinois International. And it's, uh, it's funny because, you know, I was doing a little bit of research, and you're reading up on guys that have done well there through the collegiate circuit, and, you know, your 2018 champ, Matthew Wolf, right? So I yep. can see him also having a good week as well, too. Listen, man, you know, does the fact that Bryson won in 2015 and the fact that Matt Wolf won in 2018, does that have anything to do with it? Probably not, but it's an interesting tidbit. It means that they obviously know how to play this course, and they've seen it before. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Now that I got some skin in the game, I'm definitely going to be happy this <laughs> Love week. it. Um, and if I if I pick a winner, buddy, you know I'm going to be in there, you know, giving you a hard time over social media about it, right? So I, uh, I'm i looking forward to it, pal. It's going to be good. Like I said, you know, golf's one of those sports where I'll tend to dial in on uh, on Sunday and see who's there. And, and then, you know, maybe put a, a couple uh, little couple in-game bets on, see how things kind of play out. But uh yeah, I got these three bets in the till, and I'm hopefully one of them pays out. So beautiful. Well, old boy, um, I think that's our uh, our knee deep uh, sports list done for tonight. Um, obviously, want to say a couple thank yous first off to our our sponsor Maui Gym for uh, having a nice little sponsor. We were able to get our uh, our winner the sunglasses the other day, so thanks to Maui Gym for their sponsorship. Nice little pair of Byron Bays given out pays to listen here to the Ginger and Dutch podcast. And old boy, thanks to you. Thanks for uh, stepping in for ju- for Dutch. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, hope yeah, you had a yeah. good, hope you had a good time. Anytime, pal. You know, like, who would have thought? Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. You know, when you guys first started doing it a couple months back, uh, kind of at the height of COVID and whatnot, I'll be honest with you. I thought, you know what? It's fun. They're gonna do it for a couple of weeks, but eventually they're gonna get busy again. The world's gonna open up again, and we're not gonna have time to keep doing this. But you guys have kept doing it. You know. The, the list of guest speakers you guys have had have been incredible, right? For a guys, for a bunch of, let's be honest, a bunch of nobodies, yeah, you know, doing out of their mother's basement, right? Like literally, it's been phenomenal, right? Like Sal and you name it, and Paul Jonesy and Corey Locke, and 
you know, Zavaleta. It's been it's been remarkable. So you guys are doing a great job. Keep killing it, buddy. And uh, I love it, pal. Keep keep it going, pal. Let's see who you got next. I'm, I can't wait to see what, how this thing keeps developing here, right? So awesome. good stuff. Awesome. So thanks for coming on. And for our listeners, thanks for tuning in for the Ginger and Dutch podcast. And uh, follow us on Ginger and Dutch One, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We got contests, we got giveaways, we got comments and feedback. And enjoy, and thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the Ginger and Dutch podcast. I'm Ginger, and I'm Dutch.